Hey, welcome back. We're live. Still. Kind of. We're back with a couple stories today, and I think we kind of decided on like a theme. Accidentally, yeah. So it sounds like we're going to have a con people themed episode today. Con bubble. Con, con bubble. Come on. <laughs> but before we get into all that, I do have a couple things from my last story. Oh, God. I forgot. To, fuck. You don't have anything? No, I genuinely don't think I have any updates. All right. Well, I got a couple. So I've been inappropriately thorough. You're usually inappropriately thorough. <laughs> I'm going to make up updates. You're going to make them up. Make updates. Or factoids, as you like to call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Factoids. Which Sarah keeps reminding me mean made up facts that are not true, not fun facts. So I have some facts about my last story, and Sarah has some... Factoids! So last time I talked about Sylvester Graham, the inventor of the anti-masturbation Graham cracker. Cracker. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, there's three things I got wrong, and on further review, I want to correct myself, because you can't be uh, wrong about a guy this serious. Mm. Um, first of all, all that stuff at the beginning about he was one of 17 kids, and we were cracking all those jokes about how the hell is his mom alive after 17 mm-hmm. kids. So, Sly Graham's father was Reverend John Graham Jr. That's where he got his original reverend streak from, as his dad. And it turns out he actually had three wives, because it was the 1700s, and they kept dying. Oh. And every time one died, he would marry a younger woman. Okay. And so Sly Graham's mom, whose name was Ruth Smith, is actually his third wife. And by the point that the 17th kid came along, John Graham was a full 23 years older than Ruth. So uh, she actually had Sly at the age of 39. So it's not wildly unreasonable. (laughs) That makes a lot more sense. Reverend Graham, like a good Christian man, kept marrying younger women every time his wife would die and then would give him like six babies each. And that's how Sly came to be kid number 17. I mean, so he was still producing kids into his 60s. Yeah, I mean, his balls are pretty impressive. Yeah. And honestly, Ruth, I mean, like six or seven kids. That's something to laugh That's at. no small feat. That makes a lot more sense. Ba- and basically, as soon as John died, she went nuts. And because she was stuck with 17 kids. At least she waited. Hey, yeah, that's something. Okay, what's your first factoid? Uh, did you know mm. that some animals have a cloaca? That's just a fact. I know. Fuck my life. <laughs> uh, did you know that in the 1917s, it was popular for women to identify as purple witches in their dreams? Oh, no, I did not. Yeah, it was a sign of power. Great. But they couldn't tell anybody. Why not? They'd die. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Fun fact. Void. Fuck up number two on my part is uh, I said that Sly Graham came up with the idea that masturbation makes you go blind. Mm-hmm. Not actually true. It you was like a hundred years before that. In 1760, that idea was actually invented by the Swiss physician Samuel Auguste Tissot. I'm probably saying that completely wrong. It's Swiss. That name actually sounds really familiar. He's very famous. He was a Swiss quack physician. He had all kinds of crazy theories. And one of them was that masturbation causes all kinds of things like epilepsy and shit. Hmm. But he said masturbation will make you go blind. So he's the OG on that crazy shit. Now, what Sly Graham did is popularize that in the American South. Okay. But he didn't invent the idea. He just read that guy's book because he was really into crazy quacks because he was one. That makes sense. Yeah. What's your next fact? Oid. Speaking of quacks Mm. and purple, Mm -hmm. did you know the legend of the purple people eater actually comes from the 1800s where somebody saw a platypus that was miscolored? Did it eat people? It tried to. Oh, it's a platypus. Yeah, just a fucked up platypus. Yeah, and a little fuck up ankle biting platypus. Yep. Oh, sad. Yeah. yeah, but Purple People Eater. Yeah. Good song. Fun song. They yeah. made a movie out of that, you know? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. There's like a bad live action 90s I've movie. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's terrible. You should watch that. No. <laughs> okay. My last fuck up is that I said Sly Graham died because he got a bunch of heroin shot up his asshole. <laughs> um, that's one of two factors. So he was seeing a weird physician who did jam a bunch of essentially heroin in his butt. The other thing that wacko physician said he had to do is start eating meat. 
And so at the very end of his life, having been a lifelong vegetarian and dead sober, he suddenly started eating meat and doing opium. And that killed him. Like his body wasn't used to... Vegetarians, after five years, if they eat meat, they'll get sick. Well, he hadn't eaten meat in decades. And so his doctor says, well, here, take all this opium and eat all this meat. And then he died. And of course, all of his followers, who he'd been telling you have to be sober vegetarians for decades at this point, they all kind of went, oh, fuck that. And they like left because as soon as he died, they're like, he died of a meat and opium overdose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you think that would kind of prove to them that he was right? Yes, but they stopped following him directly because he had sort of betrayed them, you oh. know? Yeah, this is my moral high ground obligation until all of a sudden I need to survive, in which case I'll drop everything. Yeah, there's also the final irony that he was killed by quack medicine. Yeah. Which is great. So something else to think about next time you have a s'more. Get me graham crackers. All right. <laughs> what is your next fact? Oid. Uh, did you know that some people believe that you can take an essence of a flower and it will cure them of cancer? I think that's also true. It is. <laughs> Are we talking about goop here? Or? It just makes me mad. <laughs> okay. Well, that is actually a factoid. I know. <laughs> All right. How are we choosing who goes first today? You saddled me with this and said I had to come up with something. Mm. The only thing I could literally think of was, you know, in elementary school, you probably didn't do this. A lot of girls did this. A lot of girls did this to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have those paper fortune tellers. The little paper flappy thing that girls made you answer questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you'd be like, oh, should I ask Jimmy out? And you're like, okay, green, two, three. So I made one of these, but I've replaced the answers with things like Todd goes first, Sarah goes first, Todd chooses, Sarah chooses. <laughs> so... <laughs> I've got my paper fortune teller here, and okay. I'm ready when you are. I'm good to go. Okay. Green, red, yellow, blue. Red. Five, six, one, or two? Six. Five, six, one, or two? Two. I don't know what this is going to say. Drink! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Which means if you land on drink, I get to go. Okay. I think I know how to do this. Right. All right. Red, green, blue, yellow. Green. D-R-E-E-N. Seven, eight, three, or four. Eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Seven, eight, three, or four? Three. Todd's first. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. Okay. Ready? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Today I will be telling you about George C. Parker, the man who sold New York. Oh, okay. So first off, I got this idea from the podcast Frosters. That's a newer one, but I've been really enjoying it. It's uh, Cena Gaznavi and Justin Williams, and they just cover all kinds of scam artists and con men and stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know, everything from televangelists to, like, Enron. And they didn't do a lot on this guy. They just mentioned him for about five minutes on a show. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was kind of interesting, so I started looking it up and just got down a hole. Like, this guy is pretty wild. Okay. So, this is me doing a historical figure again. <laughs> is he at least from the America instead of Britain? Uh, New York. Oh, mine's in New York, too. <laughs> all right. Con people from New York. Con people. Mm. So he was born March 16th, 1860 in New York City. He had a pretty typical childhood for kids at the time. His parents were both recent Irish immigrants. He had seven siblings because Irish immigrants. It's not racist. It's true. No, I, didn't say, <laughs> I didn't say a thing. <laughs> you know how our people well, are. No, I was laughing because we were just talking about Graham who had seven kids too. No, 17. His mom specifically only had seven children. Exactly. That's his... about the average for the time. <laughs> Typical childhood. Uh, not super rich, but you know, did okay in school. He ended up graduating high school yeah. and then going into the workforce. Of course. At which point you would be expected to get a normal job. But George C. Parker pretty quickly figured out a scam that is stupidly simple. And so instead of going to work at the docks or something, what he started doing is selling people things he didn't own. Okay. Like the dumbest, simplest <laughs> scam possible, right? 
<laughs> okay. So what he would do is he would set up a fake office somewhere in the city. He would go find a room for rent, bring in some furniture and chairs, maybe make a sign, make it look legit. Mm-hmm. And he would forge paperwork like a deed or something that said he owned something. For example, a famous play or a building. And he would try and convince people he really owned this thing and sell it to them. And the thing is, it fucking worked. <laughs> he was ridiculously successful at this, and he did it basically the rest of his life. And the reason that it worked is there's several factors here. One is he was very charming. He's mm-hmm. a confidence man. He's a very good talker, and he could convince people that he was telling the truth at all times, and he almost never was. The other thing was that he was apparently really, really good at forging paperwork. So all these titles and deeds and all these sale papers that he would just make up out of thin air apparently all looked really realistic. Did he sit there and like study them? Like, did he go to local library and just looked at actual deeds? Yeah, I can only assume that he just took his time and figured out how to make it look really real. He'd make it really good at branding this day. Yeah, sure. Well, this was the 1860s. (laughs) (laughs) Sucks to suck. And that's the other factor is that he was doing this in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So you can't just Google if the guy actually owns this thing. And especially with stuff like real estate, if you're not in that world, it's very hard to check this information out. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is he would target recent immigrants to America mm. who were not very familiar with American laws or they just don't know anything about the city, but they had money. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing is everyone thinks that immigrants are these sad, poor folks who get here on a caravan or walk through the desert. At the time in the 1800s, a lot of the immigrants coming to New York were wealthy Europeans. Yeah trying to come over here and make investments in the land of opportunity. They had no idea how any American laws worked, and they had no idea who owned what, but they came over, they had money, and they wanted to be great American capitalists. Rich Germans and shit coming over like, ha ha, I will be a businessman. (laughs) (laughs) Buy the land, do the things. Exactly. And the other reason it worked is that as soon as he got their money, he would disappear into thin air. That seems to be what you need to do. So he would sell somebody, you know, a building, Mm -hmm. and they'd go there and be like, hello, I'm the new owner. And they'd be like, who the hell are you? And then they'd say, I talked to this guy. And they go, we've never heard of that guy. And by the time angry German man gets back to the office, bring the cops, hey, this guy scammed me. The room is empty. The sign's been taken down. Nobody's there. And the other thing is he always used aliases. So he was uh, James J. O'Brien. Or Warden Kennedy, sometimes just last name, Mr. Roberts, Mr. Taylor. Mm-hmm. And the scams he was doing kept getting bigger and bigger because, you know, he started with sort of small things to see if it would work. Mm-hmm. And it's eventually. Like a killer in the con world. Kind of, yeah. You start out with an animal and all of a sudden you're like killing moms. Yeah, way to bring that down, Sarah. Sorry. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Matricide on five minutes in. Sorry. <laughs> Well, so his scams kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as he gained more confidence to the point where he started selling people the biggest and most famous buildings in New York on the reg. Good stuff. Some of his more advanced exploits, he sold Madison Square Garden several times. What? He sold the Metropolitan Museum of Art several times. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any figures of like what these people were buying it for? We're talking like $50,000. I mean, was that a realistic of what that building no. would go for? Okay, that's what I'm saying. Like... <laughs> These are people who don't know. That's what I was just wondering. Um, he also posed as Ulysses S. Grant's grandson and <laughs> sold Grant's tomb several times. <laughs> oh my God, at least he's creative. Yeah. Oh, multiple times sold the Statue of Liberty. Like back to a French person? Because that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they gave that to That was a gift. Okay. <laughs> they sold it to a French person. It would be amusing. It'd be funny if they sold it to a German. Actually. <laughs> I feel so bad that these people thought they could buy certain things. Like, would somebody from London assume that they could, like, purchase one of the most famous buildings in London? Madison Square Garden, you probably could buy it because that's a private building. Yeah. By the time we get to, like, Statue of Liberty, that's government property. That's what I'm saying. Like, you that's, can't buy that. Yeah. But they don't know that. They don't know oh. what's government property and what's a private building. Oh. 
Probably the most famous thing he sold, again, multiple times, was the Brooklyn Bridge. First of all, by size, the biggest one. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world. The other thing is, it was only built in 1883. So at the time, it was pretty much brand new. And it was this, like, gleaming symbol of the city. Mm -hmm. And it was second only to the Statue of Liberty and being the most famous thing in New York. Mm -hmm. And he sold it. I kind of admire this guy, even though he's a shitty con man who steals money, because it's just so cheeky, this fucking guy. What he would do is he would pay the stewards on the boats coming into New York to basically scout for rich foreigners. Stop. So he'd pay the guys who serve these people on the boats. They go, oh, that? That's the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm sure you've heard of it. I don't know if you know this, but it's up for sale. I know a guy. Oh, and God. so he wouldn't even have to go out and try and find these people. He would pay the stewards to direct them to him and give mm-hmm. him his card and all that kind of thing. And it was massively successful. He ended up selling it so frequently that there was one point in history where he sold the Brooklyn Bridge twice in one week and <laughs> like he was just going and amassing a vast amount of money. Where's he putting this money in a bank or just like keeping it at his house? I don't fucking know. Did he have like a family or is he just by himself? No, he's right a family. Just, it's just him. Yeah. He's, okay. He's just balling. Um, I just wonder like people like this, what are you doing with that money? So he was from a poor immigrant family. Yeah. And so I think certain people are just driven to amass money and sort of the same thing with Ken Lay and Enron. By all accounts, since he was young, because he didn't come from money, he was always driven to never be poor again mm-hmm. at any means necessary, you know? I get- so I think that's definitely where this guy's coming from. Yeah. So he sold the bridge so often that police got used to having to go out to the bridge and stop people from building toll booths. <laughs> because <laughs> they thought they owned it. Because they thought they owned it and they were going to put up tolls and make a bunch of money. Oh my God. And the cops got called out to the bridge multiple times to get people to stop tolling the traffic because they don't own the damn bridge. Yeah. So he didn't never get caught. Uh, in fact, he got caught a lot. He was arrested over a dozen times for various scams and swindles. Wow. He served jail time at least twice, but it was always either a short sentence because they didn't know the extent of it or he escaped. So uh, his most famous jailbreak was in 1908 at the age of 48. He managed to escape the Raymond Street Jail on New Year's Day because the new sheriff in town came in to look at the jail and left his hat and coat by the door. And George Parker straight up walked over, grabbed the hat and coat, put them on, and walked out the front gates. This sounds like a Gene Wilder skit. Mm-hmm. Well, it is, because uh, on the way out, the guards were nodding and sort of bowing to him. And he said, Happy New Year, boys. Have a good New Year. Happy New Year. And just walked the fuck out. Straight out of Blazing Saddles. Just walked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even be mad. It's just funny. Right. I don't want to admire this guy, but I see where you're coming from. The cheekiness of this guy, right? Yeah, you're like, you clever bitch. Well, it's not like he was out there, like, shooting people or anything. Yeah. He was just, like, stealing idiot rich people's money. Yeah. If you and I were less moral people. Oh, yeah. No, I'm one ethical rule away from being this guy. (laughs) Everybody who met him outside of being scammed by him said he was actually really fun. Yeah. He was just a cheat. Yeah. And a liar. And a scoundrel. I I think he's kind of fun. Because he never stole my money. If he stole my money, I'd probably have a different opinion. Yeah, I was going to say. I think he's kind of a fun guy. Super fun. And every time he got caught and got back on the street, of course, he would go right back to scamming because it's all he knew. Mm -hmm. He finally got caught for good. In 1928, at the age of 68. Damn it. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Could you get away with it for one more year? Yeah, right, come on. So he was convicted of grand larceny, which is basically big theft. Yep. And he got sentenced to life in prison at Sing Sing, which is one of the maximum security Mm -hmm. prisons in New York. And he was the most popular person in the jail because he would tell all these stories of yeah. all these scams and all these brazen things he pulled on the cops and the government and that. And not just with the inmates, but the guards fucking loved this guy. Tell me you want to get about how you sold the Statue of Liberty, man. So he probably had it pretty easy there in terms of like, didn't have to do too much work, wasn't beat, wasn't... This is basically his retirement. Yeah. Well, he, he probably loved it then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like he had a good time and everyone liked him. And he stayed there for eight years until his death by natural causes at the age of 76. George Parker. George Parker. Not a good guy, but really fun. So he didn't actually sell the city of New York. 
No, just everything in it. Okay. <laughs> I thought that some mad lad had, like, convinced a person to buy the entire city of New York. No, no, no. That's what we did to the Native Americans. <laughs> Remember that whole thing? Gave him a bunch of beads and took New York. And you say, I got dark. Hey. <laughs> Anyways, he is still remembered today as one of the most successful and talented con men in the history of the United States in terms of what he was able to pull off and how yeah. often he was able to pull it off. And in New York... Selling the Brooklyn Bridge became the thing to achieve. Because if you could sell the Brooklyn Bridge, you were a good New York con man. And so that's the mark to hit. So he inspired a slew of copycats who sold the bridge. Most famously, and this is great because these are old-timey like criminal nicknames. Yes. We've got William McClowney, a.k.a. I.O.U. O'Brien. Stop. Reed C. Waddell, a.k.a. The Kid. <laughs> Just The Kid. Yeah. And Joseph Weil, a.k.a. The Yellow Kid. <laughs> Should I not read too much? He's not Asian. Okay. No, no, I thought that too. (laughs) It's because back in the day, there was a really popular cartoon called The Yellow Kid, and the kid was just a kid in a yellow shirt. No. That reminded one of his buddies of him, so they called him The Yellow Kid. That's so innocent. It's so much less racist than I thought. That's exactly where I thought you were going with it. Especially because we're in the early 1900s. I was like, oh, do I want to look up what that means? And it was, no, it's it's a cartoon. Yeah, that's actually really innocent. (laughs) Ooh, this is my favorite one of the copycats, right? Infamous con men Charles and Fred Gondorf, who are brothers. Gondorf? Yeah. (laughs) You may not be. Charles and Fred Gandalf. (laughs) So the two of them, they would go out to the bridge and they would watch the cops patrolling and they would wait till the cops walked far away enough and then they would just slap up a sign that said bridge for sale and they would sell it right there to passerbys on the bridge and they'd get the money, give them the fake deed, pull the sign down before the cops walked by again. (laughs) Straight out of like an OG Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it's like a joke. (laughs) They're gone, hold up the sign. 500 bones, good man. Well, watch out, the coppers are coming. (laughs) Exactly. One time, they convinced a guy to buy it, but he didn't have enough money, and so they sold him half the bridge at half price. (laughs) What? Like, you can have the west half. Yeah, just the west half. We'll sell the east one. For you, half off, sir. (laughs) So, this became such a common practice that by the 1920s, the staff at Ellis Island, when you got off the boat, would pass out flyers saying, you can't buy public buildings or streets. Well, I'm smart. The first thing they'd tell you when you get to America is, you can't buy the bridge. Because <laughs> it happens so often. I mean, that's also so much busy work for the cops who are probably also dealing with tons of other shit. Yeah, yeah, And they got to like go there like twice a week to take down the toll booths. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. They so, be busting flappas. Right. So eventually people kind of got wise to it. But the idea of selling the Brooklyn Bridge became a massive pop culture joke because it had happened like hundreds of times at this point. So, for example, in the 1937 comedy film Every Day's a Holiday, Mae West plays a con woman called Peaches O'Day and sells the Brooklyn Bridge for $200. Yeah. There's also a 1947 musical starring Frank Sinatra called It Happened in Brooklyn. And at one point in the musical, Frank sings the line, don't let no one tell you I've been trying to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. (laughs) As if to say I'm honest. Yeah. Don't let anybody accuse me of trying to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, I would never do that. I'm straight up, you know. In 1949, there's a Warner Brothers cartoon called Bowery Bugs where Bugs Bunny sells a guy the Brooklyn Bridge. Ah, yes! I did not predict that. There's so many references in old movies to selling the Brooklyn Bridge because of this guy. I love this. Um, and then more recently, in 2005, so there's a website called Scamorama, and okay. it's great because it's a site where people prank email scammers. Ooh. Um, you know, they'll get an email from Nigerian prince, and they'll mm-hmm. respond to it, and they'll just wind these people up till they mm-hmm. give up. And there's a really good one on there where a user turns it around on a scammer by trying to sell the Brooklyn Bridge to a person in Liberia. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'll wire you $21.7 million, but first, you got to give me $10 million as a down payment so you can buy the Brooklyn Bridge, which will then use as collateral for my payment. And then they were almost, like, going to do it. Yeah, I feel like he's serious. <laughs> 
it's also become a, an idiom to tell someone they're being scammed. So you might have heard people say, well, if you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you. Oh, you like that phrase? That's where that comes from. That's this guy. That's so weird. Um, and probably in recent memory, its most famous use was by Barack Obama in 2008 when he was running against McCain Palin. <laughs> and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but basically he said, if you believe McCain and Palin are really trying to get all the dirty money out of Washington, D.C., well, then I've got a bridge to sell you up in Alaska. <laughs> oh, the shade. Yeah. And anyway, that's uh, George C. Parker and selling New York. <laughs> I've never heard any of that. Yeah. At all. It's true. It's a fun kind of crime. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't doubt that some people are depressed or, you know, maybe he did swindle some poor people. At oh, no, no. Night. Theft is wrong and bad, but yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it with some flair, would you? At least make it funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to me, girl. Okay. What you got? My subject is Anna Delvey, fake German heiress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have heard of her, but I don't know a lot about her. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because I've been following this case for years, just out of a weird, morbid fascination. And then this morning, researching things, looking up stuff, and I found out that as you had just mentioned, Fraudsters, mm-hmm. actually did a two-part episode on her in October. Yeah. And I was like, motherfucker. Yeah, and I do vaguely remember listening to that, but very little of it sunk in. Yeah, I think you probably listened to them while driving or something. I know that she's a con woman. Cool. I don't know much more about that. That's all I care about. Cool. Because I have been way too into her for way too long. Yeah, Not- you're like, I was into her before she was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was into her before Fraudsters. Before the podcast picked her up. Right, exactly. Anyways, basically, she's the epitome of fake it till you make it, but on crack. Mm-hmm. Back to 2013. There's a 22-year-old gets an internship at a fashion magazine in Paris called Purple. Never heard of it, but I believe you. Very charismatic, kind of quiet, a little awkward. Winds up making friends with the owner of it called Oz Purple. She starts going to parties. She starts being invited to social situations in Paris and kind of gets that taste for the elite life. Parisian socialite. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move to New York. And some douchebag sold her a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she allegedly crossed paths with Billy McFarland from Fire Festival. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, before Fire Festival ever happened. Um, uh-huh. But it's just funny that all these, like, famous con people were in New York and kind of touched. Oh, tell me they conned each other. Well, she did. Oh, <laughs> So okay. she shows up. She knows somebody on his team. And she asked to stay a couple of nights at the headquarters for, you know, about that, like, black business card scheme that he did. I watched a documentary about him, yeah. It's called Magnesis. It's a black AMX, but you get special things for it. Okay, sure. It'll appeal to rich people because they like being special. Precisely. Right. So they've got a headquarters. And according to an inside source, she just stayed there for, like, four months. For free? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, like, Billy was, like, trying to awkwardly get her out and trying to get her to move on, but she kept walking in with, like, Birkin bags and shopping stuff. Oh, reason. hello, darling. Right, exactly. Don't mind, I sleep here tonight again. <laughs> yes. Um, she's got a kind of cherubic heart face, natural blonde, German accent. So, it's cute. Yeah, just sweet. Yeah. Innocent looking. Right. The only reason they actually finally kicked her out was because they switched headquarters and they didn't tell her. So she just had to move out because they were like... They ghosted her? Goodbye, we're moving. Uh, Don't know where. You're not invited. (laughs) Fast forward to 2015. She gets introduced to Michael Zufu Huang. He is a famous founder of a museum in Beijing. She meets him at a party and he finds her charismatic and she's like, hey, you know what we should do? Let's go to Venice. Let's just go on a trip to Venice. And he's like, okay, why not? Because rich people. If you got the dough. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, oh, by the way, I I can't figure out logistics. Um, If you could just pay for the ticket and the hotel and stuff, I'll hit you back. Uh, (laughs) They go, they have fun, post all these things on Instagram. They get back. She never pays him back. He's at about 3K. He's like, I don't really mind it. And he winds up seeing her on the scene every once in a while. If you got money, 3K and a big deal. He's kind of rich. He forgets it. Right. 2016, she has a birthday blowout at a famous restaurant called Sedell's in Soho. She hires a PR team to put together this giant thing for her. And it's insane. Michael... The guy she just went to Venice with mm. actually attends. Tons of successful people. The night's great. 
he gets a call the next day from the restaurant because he posted Instagram pictures with her. And they're like, hey, do you know her? have her contact information. She didn't pay her bill. Oh. And he's like, oh my God, she is not legit. She got everybody litty and then snuck out of the back. And this is the thing where like Ugh. a breakfast drink costs $25. Oh. And she just boop. But nobody thinks to kind of follow up on her because they're like, oh, well, you know, she's yeah, she, rich. You know, she'll pay for it eventually. Yeah. And the reason they kind of think this is because when she showed up in town, she's telling people that she is a huge trust fund heiress from Germany. She has 60 million euros. So about $80 million at the time. Her father's a diplomat. Oh, wait. No, he's an executive. Uh, no, he's a solar panel magnate. He's a oil investor. He's yeah. an airplane. Exactly. Owner. Man. He's a sea thing. Shanty man. He's Aquaman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> shanty man. He's a shanty man. I don't know. Every time it's something different that sounds a little impressive to whoever she's talking to. It's like to. the Joker's origin story. Right, exactly. But yeah. she was kind of like shifts it to whoever she's talking to. Right. She says she's a German heiress from Cologne, despite the fact that she can barely speak German. She can't speak Deutsch. Can't. Well, she can speak some Deutsch, but barely any Deutsch. Mm. But the way she acts and she kind of has the charisma, has the confidence, they don't question it. They're like, oh, well, she forgets to pay us back because money doesn't mean much to her because she has so much of it. That's such a rich person assumption, too. It is. The other rich people are like, oh, well, I forget to pay my friend back $500. They probably did, too. Similar to you and I, like, Joey forgot to pay me back for that $5 beer at the pub. Whatever. He'll get me next time. He'll buy me beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, but instead of $5, it's $5,000. So she starts talking about this passion project. The Anna Delvey Foundation gets super into it, and it's going to be like an art foundation, and she wants to lease the church missions house which is a registered landmark historic building in New York City on mm. Park Avenue South. It's going to be a multi-purpose art studio and there's going to be multiple diners and you can buy tickets to get into the bar at the top and just this whole thing. Yeah, and there'll be an open-air relaxation lounge right. and free so, acupuncture on Tuesdays. Yeah, she goes so far <laughs> as to say the Andy Warhol Foundation is going to be involved and Christo and Jean-Claude are on the board and they're famous artists who used to drape buildings or national monuments in fabric. Yeah, I know them. You look up their shit, right? Yeah. It's oh, great. yeah. That's the other reason I got lost earlier. I mean, it's the epitome of like pretentious, meaningless art, but it does look really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she says that they're involved and they're on the board. They are not. And that for the opening, <laughs> they're going to drape the entire church missions house in fabric. And everyone's just so excited about this idea. They're like, church missions is so beautiful and exclusive buy-ins and famous artists. And it sounds so bougie. Mm, kind of mm. like the black card. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She's very much smoking. Smoke and mirrors, smoke and mirrors. Mm. This is pretty. This is shiny. Look over there. I'm a magpie. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> so she uh, goes back to Germany to quote unquote renew her visa. According to court records, at that point, she searches how to make fake emails and fake bank documents. Google's how to make fake bank statement? Yes. Oh. And she creates her own fake assistant named Peter Henneke, who is in charge of her family's finances. Oh. But it's a fake AOL.com email address. <sighs> Past 2001, yes, I know. Right. She fakes a whole bunch of bank documentation using Microsoft Word. And she tries to make a $60 million loan happen for her project with, from what we can tell, no money. Shooting for the moon here. Yeah. I think conning one or two people for a $3,000 vacation or, you know, a $400 bar bill. These are small money. And all of a sudden, she gets so focused on this Anna Delvey Foundation, she starts to eat herself and starts kind of spiraling. So she applies for a $22 million loan at Fortress Bank. But- they need $100,000 for a deposit. Then she goes to Citibank. She's like, I'm an heiress. I'm fantastic. I have $67 million in Jeez. a Swiss bank. If you forward me the 100000 I will give you $67 million. Mm. But I need the hundred k And they're like, well, why would we do that? And she's like, do you really want to lose my business? So for some reason, they actually allow her to overdraft the 100000 Fucking love it. So she immediately puts it into Fortress Bank. And they're like, hey, before we actually loan you this much money, we need to meet one of your people at the Swiss bank. We will fly our guy out. We'll pay for everything. We need to meet somebody 
at the Swiss bank in person. Yeah, at that point, there's got to be guys in suits discussing it. Millions of dollars. Tons of people in suits. What'd she do? What'd she do? So, <laughs> she immediately pulls out her application. Oh. For the Fortress loan. Oh, I would have hired an actor. So, they keep 45000 of the deposited in their account. She gets the other 55000 in cash, separate from either bank. Mm. And is untraceable for a while. Because Fortress is like, fine, you pull out your application, we gain 45k, why do we care? Not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Citibank is probably going to chase her, so she leaves Germany and goes back to New York. Right. She's finally got actual money. Right. Not made up money. Yeah. From what we can tell, she actually has money now. So, like, all that stuff before when she was showing up to parties was just bluff and bluster. She probably had a few hundred in the bank. Yep. Bluff wow. and bluster and whatever she could con out of people. Yeah. And every once in a while, she'd pay something, but only ever in cash. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So, she gets back. And she checks in for an extended stay at the 11 Howard Hotel. I've never heard of it. That probably means it's either like dog shit or very swanky. <laughs> yes. The latter. She says that she knows the owner, who is Abby Rosen. Ironically, he is also the leaseholder for the church mission house that she wants for her foundation. Ooh. So she gets in. She's like, Anna Delvey for an extended stay about a month. Usually only people stay in those expensive hotels for a month if they're very rich. Mm. So they're like, okay. They think it sounds weird. Usually they have advance warning. She convinces them to take a wire transfer and to not put a credit card down. Aye. Because she's clever and she somehow convinces them to do it. Well, it sounds like she's charming. That's how cons Ex- work. Exactly. All of a sudden, she starts to slip in $100 bill tips all the time. So somebody brings her bags up. Nonchalant $100 tip. Oh, yeah. Butter them up so they don't kick you out. Right. Exactly. She goes down to the concierge and befriends the 25-year-old Nefatari Davis, a.k.a. Nef, which I think is the cutest name ever. First thing she does is just slip her $100 bill to, like, tell her where the hot new brunch place is. Right. And all of a sudden, she is spending all her time down there. And so this concierge is like, you know, I have a lot of guests who want to cheat on their wives or escape from their husbands. or right. They're just lonely. Yeah. She's like, I think this girl was just lonely. So she just starts spending like crazy. She's flouncing around. She gets a personal trainer. She invites the concierge nef to her personal training sessions, which the packages were 4500 and she pays in cash. Mm, she's only got 55 Yep. Dojis. <laughs> yep. She starts getting like false lashes. She becomes the darling of the hotel almost. Right. Like when Rihanna walks out and all of a sudden she just owns the room and she's got a glass mm-hmm. of wine in her hand. She's it's like, like that, but every night. Exactly. Yeah. And she's walking around in like Acme and Supreme sweatpants and she just brings a glass of wine down to the concierge just for lunch and everybody fights to get her packages up to her because they'll get the $100 tip. And she starts bringing Neff out to parties. Mm. One day, the concierge, Neff, and Anna are out partying. And all of a sudden, she finds herself next to Macaulay Culkin. Oh, fuck. Who evidently hung <laughs> of with- Of all people. Yeah, who evidently hung with Anna Delvey for a while. He does like the weirdos. Yeah. All of a sudden, the next night, they're up at Farmer Bro Martin Shkreli's apartment. And they listen to that Wu-Tang album. What? She heard the Wu-Tang album? She did. <laughs> now I hate her. And I guess Neff didn't post anything on social media about meeting Macaulay Culkin. Uh-huh. But she did post about Screlly and the Wu-Tang album. And I guess Anna was so upset that she didn't come down to the concierge desk for like three days. Because that's her shit. I think she was trying to do the socialite thing where you post kind of mysterious photos and only emojis. Yeah, don't give away too much info or it spoils the mystique. Yeah, you know, like she shows up in this black dress that looks like Balenciaga, but it was probably from Ross. Or she borrowed it from somebody or somebody bought it for her because Mm. she conned them into it. But the way that she wore it so effortlessly while passing out $100 bills, nobody noticed. Yeah, but as soon as there's too much info out... Exactly. Yeah. She befriends her trainer, the extremely expensive $300 a session and her package for 4500 Casey Duke. So, Casey Duke. I know. Casey Duke. I actually looked her up. She's really hot. Yeah. And I Rachel- thought it was a guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's, she's a very attractive lady. Mm. So before she went back to Germany, that was like her big social area. In New York, you mean? Yes, in New York. She like hung out with all these people, had a large friend group. And then she went to Germany and performed all these schemes and started focusing on her foundation. Right. And she comes back and the only people she's hanging out with now, after having a very large social scene, right. are somehow a concierge at the place she's staying. Neff. 
the trainer that she's using at that place. Bucky. Casey. <laughs> and then she befriends Rachel Williams, who is a photo editor at Vanity Fair. And those are the only three people she really hangs out with at this Weird point. Weird for a multimillionaire socialite. Supposedly, she was on her phone all the time. She just focused straight into this foundation idea. And she became kind of obsessed with it. Okay. So, about a month and a half later, after coming back to New York, partying the entire time, hanging out, Anna and Neff go to dinner. And her car gets declined. She was like, okay, well, there's no way. I'll figure it out. Another I must have flown to Istanbul last week and used it. And then, of course, they could have freeze on it again. And international right. travel, like exactly. some bullshit like exactly. that. Exactly. And then right. she gives the waiter another 12 different credit card numbers to check. Well, that's not good. They check all of them and all of them are declined. So at this point, Neff was like, okay, I'm stuck with the bill. Mm -hmm. And luckily for her, it was only about $300, but this is a 25-year-old concierge. It's not like mm -hmm. she's making bank. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, I'll pay you later. She winds up paying her back three times the amount at some point in cash. The day after, the hotel manager calls Neff. And she's like, hey, I've got an issue. I want to be delicate about it because I know you're Anna's friend. There's been no wire transfer. It's been about a month and a half that she's been staying here. She owes around $30,000 because mm -hmm. she's been charging everything at the hotel to the hotel. All the drinks at the bar, personal trainer. Charge it to my account. Oh. Charge it to my account. Anything she didn't pay for in cash, charge it to my account. Yeah. And they didn't take a credit card Aye. because they trusted that she was a client of the owner. Aye. She must have been real convincing. Dude, I've watched some interviews with her and it's fascinating. Right. So Neff goes and talks to Anna. And explains the situation, and she's upset. She's like, obviously, there's an issue with my bank. My aunt from Germany, who's also a rich heiress, is going to be coming in in a couple weeks. She'll pay for it. They say, no, we need to see the money. Somehow, miraculously, she schemes and Citibank wires the 11 Howard the $30,000. They wired more money to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, real charming. <laughs> Turns out she'd actually deposited $160,000 in bad checks and then had withdrawn 70000 before the bad checks were returned because there's this thing called a float period. Oh. So she started taking advantage of this. It's kind of like check kiting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they think that's where the 30K came from. Oh. She had deposited 160K in bad checks. They wire transferred 30 of that, and then she withdrew 70. Oh. Yeah. So she's on the radar of a couple of people at this point, and she's just digging herself deeper. Right. She's got too many fingers and pies. Pies are starting to burn her fingers. She's going to lose her fingers. Digging herself to China with burnt just, fingers. Yeah, basically just burnt fingers everywhere. <laughs> All blood. We got dark. Anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, 11 Howard's taken care of for the time being. They have their 30K transfer mm. in May 2017. She decides to book a private jet to the Warren Buffett Investors Conference in Omaha, Nebraska. As one does. Yeah. She'd been wheeling and dealing for her foundation, and so she had kind of gone from fancy Instagram socialite to investor hanging out with men with briefcases. If you don't know her, she looks real rich. Yeah, exactly. And she was surrounded by other rich people. Uh -huh. And she did actually get an acquaintance of hers that was helping her work on the quote-unquote foundation to get her an invite to the investors conference. I mean, shit, she listened to Wu-Tang at Screlly's place. Right, exactly. So she books a private jet. While she's gone, the 11 Howard still has no credit card on file. Mm -hmm. So they had a 30K wire transfer, but they're like, we can't keep trusting this. Right. Like, we're going to get in trouble with the owner. It already smells. Exactly. So while she's gone, they change the code and they lock her out of her room. Neff, the concierge friend, sends her a text. Anna's furious. She threatens to buy all the web domains of all the managers at the hotel's names. And she said she learned that from Screlly. That sounds like a Screlly move. Yeah. I don't think she's lying there. No, I think she's completely <laughs> accurate. She, her, That's what Scientology does. Yeah. So she's like, I'm looking up every single manager who works at the hotel. And she's like, I'm going to buy their web domains. They're going to have to buy it back for me. And it'll completely ruin their lives. Buy all their name.com and forward it to Nambla. Exactly. And that was like, as far as she's concerned, this is her really rich friend who's been doing a lot of stuff for her. And she's like, oh, yeah, the hotel probably definitely fucked her over. Mm. So she gets back from the conference. She goes to the Howard. She's like, hey, I'll move out. But in the meantime, I've got this idea. She wants to do a promo video 
for the Anna Delphi Foundation. And she starts talking to her friend, Rachel Wilson, who was the Vanity Fair photo editor. And Rachel has a videographer friend. And she's like, uh, you know what we're going to do? Inspired by, I believe, Kim Kardashian. She oh, good. booked a $7,000 a night trip to Marrakesh. If I told you I knew where that was, I would be lying. <laughs> Morocco. Great. <laughs> I guess at some point, one of the Kardashians had gone on this exact same trip. It has a room and a house and a personal butler. It's one of those things where like one influencer goes and the rest of them have to go to flex. Exactly. So she books this, hires the videographer, and she invites Neff. Unfortunately, because Neff is a concierge at a hotel, she can't take, you know, eight days off. Yeah. She considers quitting her job, and luckily her mom talks her out of it. She's like, something smells here. So she just kind of, like, watched her from afar on social media and was a little jealous. You're getting paid by people with real money. This is... But she doesn't know that. Oh, yeah. So instead, she takes Casey, her trainer, Rachel, the person from Vanity Fair, and a videographer. Weirdly enough, she asks Rachel to book the hotel and the flight for her. She's like, oh, I'm too busy, but here's my information. I'll pay you back. So we're just like, no problem. Keep in mind, she's a photo editor at Vanity Fair. Uh, yeah. She's also, I believe, in the younger 20 ranges. So she's not got like a ton of savings. She doesn't have savings. She works for Vanity Fair in New York and she pays New York rent. Right. So she's like, fine, I'll book it on my credit card. She's never asked me to pay for anything. She buys all my stuff. She buys clothes for me. Fortunately for the trainer, Casey, two days in, they get to Marrakesh and she eats food poisoning. So she has to go home immediately back to New York. Which is great, because all of a sudden, about a week later, Anna Delvey calls her trainer, and she is freaking out, and she's crying, and none of her credit cards are working for the $7,000 a night trip. Oh, no! Yep. So she asks her if she could pay it for her. Right. <laughs> and she, uh, in good faith, actually does try to pay it. It's declined by her credit card because it's in another yeah, country. Yeah, no. Um, she actually calls a friend of hers to try to help Anna out. Wow. This is how convincing this woman is. That doesn't work either. She finally gets on the phone with the managers and they're like, we're about to arrest her because she can't pay anything. You should. So because the trainer's card didn't work and her friend's card didn't work and Anna's card wasn't working, weirdly enough, the place actually like, well, it's probably an issue on our end. Really? They just gave him a hall pass? They gave him a hall pass until the end of the trip because Anna's freaking out. They're like, we have a couple more days left until you leave. We will check and we will see if this is an issue on our end. So they stay for the rest of their trip, still having paid nothing. Well, turns out they need to leave at some point. Mm. Rachel steps up because she's a good friend and is like, okay, I'll pay the bill. And is like, of course, I will pay you back. I'll wire transfer the second we get back into New York. Everything will be fine. There's just an issue with my bank. And maybe my parents cut me off from my 60 million euros inheritance that came into when I was 25, blah, 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 blah. Mm Rachel Bluzer. So she pays $62,000 on a credit card. Jesus, Rachel. Which is much more than she made in a year. Yeah. So they get back to New York. She's obviously not happy. Anna kind of starts avoiding her. She goes to the 11 Howard and she's like, I will leave. I understand that I am kicked out. So instead she moves into the Beekman Hotel. Don't know that one either. Nope. Is it still too bougie for me? Or is too it bougie for you. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Moves into the Beekman Hotel. The exact same thing happens, but she's not best friends with the concierge. So I think within the first 20 days... She gets locked out and they confiscate all of her belongings. Then she goes over to the W Hotel. I know that one. Also pretty bougie. Mm-hmm. They do the exact same thing. No shit. They don't have a credit card. There's no wire transfer. She pays nothing. Basically, within the week, they're just like, I'm not putting up with this. Bitch, no. So in June, she was in Marrakesh. And by July 5th at this point, she's homeless. Good. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like effectively she's been homeless the whole time. She has. Right. And now she has at least three extremely expensive hotels on her ass with thousands of dollars of unpaid bills. I mean, yeah, it's got to catch up to you eventually. So what's the next move? She uh, stalks her trainer at her apartment building. Oh, uh, Bucky. Casey. Yeah, got it. Shows up at an apartment building. She's freaking out. She's crying. Casey, being a nice person, invites her up, listens to her. Anna begs to stay the night. So she lets her. 
She sends her off the next day in a nice, new, flattering dress because she was dirty, <laughs> like she'd been sleeping in cars or something, wandering around. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. So she sends her out, and Anna had conveniently left behind her laptop to come pick up later. Oh. Casey says, fuck that. So she leaves it at the front desk where she lives. Right. Anna Don't winds- want to get involved. Right. Exactly. Anna winds up coming back later and security calls Casey and says that she won't leave. Right. Finally, around like midnight, one in the morning, she leaves with her laptop to go somewhere. Well, she stays there for like hours. Mm-hmm. Just harassing security, saying that she should be left in Casey's apartment. <laughs> mm-hmm. So a few weeks later, she's still kind of hopping to different hotels. She makes a mistake because usually she'd get away with these kind of things by staying in a hotel and then charging to the hotel she's staying at. Mm. Because you can get away with that for a little bit before mm-hmm. you have to leave and they ask you to pay. Well, she makes the mistake of taking lunch at somewhere she's not staying at. Mm. And she spends six hours having drinks, having food, hanging out at the Le Parker Meridian. After six hours, she just starts leaving. Obviously, they're not putting up with it. They catch up to her and they're like, oh, excuse me, miss, you haven't paid your bill. She tried to dine and dash. That's something people do at like a Denny's, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, not somewhere in Midtown. Mm. Oh, no, no, no. Um, I don't have my credit card on me. Let me call a friend. They'll pay for me. So she starts trying to call people. Nobody answers. At this point, yeah. Yeah. Ma'am, you need to pay. You cannot leave the premises until you pay. No, 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 no. It's okay. Um, My friend will stop by in 20 minutes to pay it. She turns around. The New York police officer is there. What's the problem here? Dine and dashing. So she's arrested. She faces three counts of misdemeanor theft of services because it turns out the Beekman, the 11 Howard, and W Hotel had all filed charges against her. She is released on her own recognizance. And her court date is set for September. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, right after she's arrested, the New York Post breaks her story on July 31st. Mm. She flips a shit. Everything is broken. You see the man behind the curtain. Right. The woman. The woman behind the curtain. <laughs> slash the fake Balenciaga dress. The trick is revealed. Yes. Okay. Who the fuck is this chick actually? Uh, Anna Delvey, right? That's what everyone thought. Heiress to something or another. Well, turns out, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> so this bitch <laughs> is born January 23rd in 1991. Okay. In Domodedovo, Russia. She's a Russian. She is a Russian. Wow. Her name is Anna Sorokin. Ah, well, that's clearly Russian. Yes. She is one of two children. She's a younger brother. Mm. Her father was a truck driver. Oh, not a baron or whatever she yeah, said. Not a solar panel magnate. Or a sea shanty man. <laughs> I made that one up. That was, that was not on her list. But I digress. Her mom owned a small convenience store and then became a housewife. They moved to Germany in 2007 when Anna was 16. Mm. She never quite learned Deutsch. According to an article that I found, for some reason, a couple of my topics have me translating Russian articles now. Same with the Blue Whale Challenge. There's a weird pattern that you have to like use Google Translate to try to understand Russian. It was a thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> she was popular in high school. She evidently loved Mean Girls as a child. Oh, God. She really identified with the Mean Girls after Lindsay Lohan's character. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. That's not the a- takeaway you should have from that movie. <laughs> no. She was obsessed with fashion. She was, used to get fashion magazines. She wanted to become a journalist, which is why I'm assuming she went to become a PA. Mm. Graduated 2011. Moved to London, came back to Germany, and that's where she had a brief PR stint before she moved to Paris to work at Purple Magazine. Hmm. So, August 2017, after she's been in contact with a lawyer, Anna asks her trainer again to stay with her. Instead, the trainer organizes an intervention, and she invites the Vanity Fair chick, Rachel. Because she hasn't contacted her, and she still owes her $62,000. They're just like, you need to be honest. Yep. Rachel can't pay her rent. Where's my money? You right. keep saying you're going to wire transfer and then avoiding me. You're a good friend of ours, we think. Why are you asking us to stay here? What's up with this New York Post article? Right. She obviously freaks out. She says she'll pay everyone back. She's been planning to pay them back the entire time. Once she signs the lease for the church mission's house for mm. the Anna Delvey Foundation. Oh, the foundation, yes. Casey politely points out it's already been rented. You took too long. Now your candy's gone. Your church is gone. That what happened. Bagow. Mm. 
And his reply was, that's fake news. This is 2017. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fake news. Yep, <laughs> exactly. God. <laughs> she leaves. They get no resolution about the $62,000. But she's got a court date. It's coming up in the next month. She pulls one last scheme. She decides to deposit two bad checks. And she gets $8,000. And she flies to Malibu, California. Oh, the home of the other large group of bullshitters. Yep. Well, you know what she does? She checks herself into Passages Rehab, a famous celebrity rehab center. I've heard of Passages. It's very expensive. Extremely. So she cons her way into a fancy rehab hotel. Oh, God. And I don't know if she was this intelligent or just lucky. Police can't just go into a rehab center and start arresting people. Yeah, I think there's rules about that. Yeah. Yeah. So she is in rehab in California with like her last $8,000 in late August. She changes her profile information to let them eat cake. Oh, Marie Antoinette. Yes, I guess she was a huge Marie Antoinette fan, which is ironic and gross. Right, because Marie Antoinette was a super abusive, rich monarch. Yep, who just took advantage of others and did whatever she wanted. Yeah. Well, this is who she looked up to, Mean Girls and Marie Antoinette. Yeah, this feels like a complex. (laughs) So, Rachel, Vanity Fair chick, starts stalking her Instagram. She sees that Anna is posting from California. And so she calls her and she's like, hey, How's it going? And Anna's like, oh, it's not good. I'm in hospital. Okay, well, what are you doing in the hospital? Are you okay? And she goes, oh, everything was too much. I couldn't take it. Okay, well, where are you staying? Don't worry about it. I'll call you when I get out. Rachel's immediately suspicious. She's still working at Vanity Fair. She has an event coming up for her job that takes her to California. Oh. She had figured out that she was in the rehab center. Sure. So she calls Anna and she's like, hey, I'm going to be in California. Why don't I take you out for lunch and just talk? It's been a while. I still care about you. So Anna's like, yeah, I'll meet you up for lunch. So she asks for the rehab center to set her up with a car, and she leaves the facilities to get in the car, and there's a cop there. Oh, right outside the line where you can't enter? Yep. Oh, did she sting her intentionally? Mm-hmm. Yeah! <laughs> Go, Rachel. Bam! Arrested. Get your payback. So it turns out the entire time Rachel had been working with law enforcement, <laughs> she had been in contact with the New York <laughs> Attorney General's office. She worked with the local authorities to perform a sting and get Anna out of the rehab center and into custody. Nailed it, Rachel. Rachel. So, brought back to New York, she's got six counts of grand larceny and attempting grand larceny as well as theft of services. Holy shit, you blew my story out of the water. My guy had one count of grand larceny. (laughs) (laughs) And keep in mind, she's only 26 at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would make sense if you were such a good rich person bullshitter, if you were from a rich family, but she's not. And just learn the language. Yeah, this wasn't like years of experience of doing this and figuring out the game. She just did it. Yeah. October 2017, she is formally charged. She's offered a plea deal to just be extradited to Germany. She denies it. She says she's innocent. Take it. I don't know why you wouldn't, but she is so attached. German jails are so much nicer than American jails. (laughs) She is so attached to this identity at this point, I think. Right. She says she's innocent. She's denied bail. And she's sent to Rikers. Hey. For the entirety of the trial. Rikers is a really great place to be as 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 a New York socialite. So, 2018. There's a huge investigative article by Jessica Pressler from New York Magazine that just kind of blows the story up. Like, Mm -hmm. the New York Post was a big article because nobody in the scene had really been suspicious of her. Right. But Jessica Pressler did the research. She interviewed Neff. She interviewed Michael from Beijing. She interviewed all of the investors at Citibank. She interviewed the Andy Warhol Foundation that had been accused of being part of her foundation at one point. Yeah. Everything. It's amazing. People become fascinated by Anna. She's kind of like this anti-hero. And I think a lot of it was she made money despite not being rich. It's kind of like an anti-Robin Hood. She didn't- Yeah, steal from the rich, but don't- Give give to to yourself. 
Yeah, that's it, not good, though. <laughs> no, but it still was like, fuck you to the establishment. People are like, weirdly fascinated by this chick who could just con that many people when she had no money. And just walking and bullshit all these rich yeah, people. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And companies and banks. Yeah. Same with your character. Right. People start wearing t-shirts. Not not a grifter. Fake German heiress. And my other shirt will wire you $3,000. <laughs> epitome of a modern New York con. Mm-hmm. How did this bitch do this? It's the sauciness of walking in just going, oh, yes, yes, I, yeah. I got this. Just talking the talk. and Eye contact, confidence. Yeah. Um, I own the Statue of Liberty. I can sell that to you. Exactly. Yeah. But she did this in the age where there was social media and people did have her phone number. That's significantly more impressive. Honestly, no one thought to second guess it. Yeah. So, May 9th, 2019. Mm. She's found guilty and sentenced to four to 12 years in state prison. Four to 12? Four to 12. Like four on good behavior? Yeah. She is fined $24,000. She is ordered to pay restitution of $200,000. Keep in mind her charges to various people were about in the $600,000 range. Right. They only like make her pay back a third of that? Yep. So as reported to the New York Times, supposedly Anna had to do time in solitary over Christmas. Oh no. Because she was not a model prisoner. Shocking. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. She had at least 13 infractions, including fighting and disobeying orders. Oh <laughs> So during this time, Rachel also publishes her memoir yeah. called My Friend Anna, The True Story of a Fake Heiress. All right. Rachel also sold a first-person article to her own company, Vanity Fair, okay. for $1,300. She then sold her story to HBO for what could amount to more than $335,000. Oh. And then also sold the rights to Simon & Schuster for $300,000. Okay. And it was found not guilty of Rachel's case for the 62 k What? Because they couldn't prove intent to defraud. Like, it's plausible she might have just not thought about it and fucked up? Yeah. Okay. Amex also eventually lets Rachel's charge of 62K go. So Rachel actually never paid that 62K. Oh, great. So, in fact, she is now up, by my count, about $635,000 plus $1,300 and not out anything. Way to pivot. (laughs) Good for her. Yeah. It's interesting because even though these women were taken advantage of at one point, it's not like these young, not rich women weren't benefiting from Anna's friendship. They were getting paid in whining and dining and getting paid in meeting Macaulay Culkin and Martin Screlly and thousands of dollars worth of clothes. Ironically, they kind of did to her what she did to others. Love it. Yeah. Also, Shonda Rhimes is now producing a Netflix series. It's called Inventing Anna. Uh-huh. The original $30,000 deal actually did go to Anna, which she paid directly to her lawyer. The additional 60k is on hold because it's pending a suit from the New York Attorney General's office because they invoked the Son of Sam Law. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that to the, the people. Okay, so the Son of Sand Law is from David Berkowitz, which basically keeps criminals from profiting off of their publicity of their crimes. Yes. So you can't write a novel about it and then make the money from that novel. Because the Son of Sand was a big-ass narcissist. Yes. And tried to make a ton of money off his story. Mm-hmm. So right now, Anna's involved in a suit to cut her off from Netflix. But the Netflix show is going on. And the payment theoretically going to Anna is being challenged by New York. And hopefully it's going to go to the victims of her crimes. It should do. Yeah, the Netflix series is already in production. I've seen photos from behind the scenes. Very interesting. Uh, because Neff is in it. Michael is in it. Rachel Wilson's obviously in it, who also sold her own story to HBO. So there's probably something going on with HBO. Oh, this is going to be like the Nexium shit mm-hmm. where everyone gets the best deal they can. So every network has their own documentary about or it. Or ironically, right? the Fire Festival shit. Very true. Or Netflix were... and Showtime. That's so wild that Anna and Billy hung out because they both ended up having the same fate. Right, exactly. Well, do you want to hear Anna's fate as of a week ago? New news? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course I do. So she was actually released on February 11th, 2021. Oh, what hotel is she staying at now? <laughs> That's less than three years into her sentence. Yeah. But parole board agreed that she was going to be released on good behavior. Pretty white lady, let's be honest. Yep. 
just accused of, you know, monetary crimes, nothing big, mm-hmm. not, you know, not murder or No, no stabbies. Yeah, no stabbies. So she's released on February 11th. ICE then took her into custody on March 25th. Oh, okay. Not just because she's not a resident mm. and not just because her visa is set to expire. April 6th, the immigration judge ruled that Anna Sorokin will not be released from custody, according to her lawyer. They are citing with ICE, who said her Instagram post showed that she hasn't been rehabilitated. And Wait, they made an immigration argument that she hasn't learned anything based on her own Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that she is a danger to <laughs> Anybody our society. talks to her, yeah. Mm-hmm. They also quoted a BBC article, quote that she said, that crime does pay. Yeah. She did a round of interviews that she probably should not have done that quickly. She got out and immediately started posting articles about herself. There's posts of people seeing her at Sephora buying thousands of dollars in makeup. Right. And she actually tried to start a blog from prison. Um, <laughs> she actually was very grateful for her time because she said it gave her more information to write about in her future novels. Wow. I'm not going to throw out any diagnosis there, but I definitely do not think there's something right with her. Yeah. She seems to have developed this really deep, defining complex about never being Mm -hmm. poor, never being middle class even. And she's still posting about her foundation. The foundation. The Anna Delvey Foundation. Wow. And avidly trying to make that happen. You are not sane. So as of today- (laughs) <laughs> okay. She's in the custody of the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement of the United States. And they actually kept her in custody instead of sending her back to Germany. Are they keeping her in chain link cages with the children? <laughs> oh, dear. We can only hope. <laughs> I sincerely doubt that. No, I know, I know. Not to the nice white blonde no, Russian no, Germans no, 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 no. who <laughs> defrauded hundreds of people. She's probably in a taxpayer-paid motel room and she'll love it. Oh, almost guaranteed. She's probably posting about it on Instagram somewhere. Look, I have hot water. <laughs> <laughs> so... I will leave us with a quote from her interview with the New York Times while she was in prison. My motive was never money, she said, dressed in a khaki jail jumpsuit and Celine glasses. I was power hungry. Very true. And Adelby slashed her rockin'. Wow. Yeah. I've been following this bitch for years. She's got the rich person Instagram complex mm-hmm. without having any money and is fully willing to defraud anybody she meets to maintain that complex. Yeah, it was interesting because her entire persona is made up of lies. Mm-hmm. Other than finding things in court cases and documents, it's hard to find out any factual information. Right. Because all of this wishy-washy. Right. But the one I did really like is a BBC Radio did a very good six-part series, which went into a deep dive of Anna Delby's slash Sorokin's entire journey. Mm-hmm. But they also hired a dramatic writer and they actually had actors uh, oh, for like Anna and Neff. Yeah, just... it was really interesting. So there's the reporter who's actually doing an informational case by case of like exactly what's going on in her life. But then every once in a while you get a faux Anna talking in like a German Russian accent. And then you get somebody who plays Neff and somebody who plays Rachel, which was very cool to listen to. But then on top of that, the person who did the BBC radio show also actually got interviews from most of the people I talked about. So they interviewed Rachel and they interviewed Neff. They interviewed Michael, the museum owner. They interviewed one of the bankers that she defrauded. Wow. And the faux Anna is hilarious to listen to. Is that Poopoo Pointless's official recommendation right now? If you're interested in it, yeah, definitely check it out. It's really well done. I would suggest BBC radio's fake heiress. Awesome. Poor Russian gal bullshits her way through life, comes to New York, makes good, even though she's essentially a manipulative homeless person, ends up at the top of the headlines all year round for five years or so, and then finally gets caught in rehab in California. Currently released, now in ICE custody. Cool story, bro. 
Hey there, buddy. Do I got a deal for you? Have you heard of the uh, Brooklyn Bridge? Yes, you have, because it's for sale. Do you want to buy the Brooklyn Bridge? Yes, you do. Are you recently from Germany? Fun fact, you know what else is on sale? The Statue of Liberty. You can get both for the high, high, short, tiny, tiny deal of $500. Yes, you do want it. Yes, my name is Mr. Parker and or Warden something and or literally anything else. I escape from jail. I get back in jail. Become popular in jail. Die in jail. Love me. Leave me. Know me. Cool story, bro. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs>